Welcome to the Culture Builders podcast channel, looking at how individual and team performance builds strong cultures. Hosted by Jane Sparrow and Chris Preston. You are listening to a deep dive episode. I'm joined today by Emma Cleary, who is the founder and director of Flexibility Matters. And I had the great privilege recently of having a long chat with Emma, where as we got to the end of our allotted hour, we both realised that we should really have recorded the conversation because it went in some very interesting ways and it raised some very pertinent topics. Emma is very much focused on the recruitment and talent market, but Emma takes a very different approach to how to bring in talent into your organisation. Rather than me trying to explain that, Emma, hello. Hi. Would you like to properly explain what your organisation does before I make a mess? Absolutely. Well, for the past two and a half years, Flexibility Matters has championed uh, flexible working in all its shapes and forms um, in and around the Sussex market, and that's from South London uh, out to Chichester and out to Hastings and the Gatwick Diamond. And our mission is to help professionals um, get a better balance in their life, um, whether that's flexible full-time, flexible part-time, consultancy work, um, and all sorts of different shapes and forms of flexibility. But my mission is really to talk about why flexible working matters so much. It matters to me personally, but why it matters to so many working people, um, particularly if they've decided that they don't want to work in London anymore, which we find a lot of, or if they just want a complete change of pace in the way that they're tackling their working life and need a better balance. That's kind of what we do. You've just listed there the three biggest factors, I think, for the push towards hybrid and poly working. So you talked about more flexibility, in people's lives absolutely you talked about a change in location as well and not necessarily being london centric and you also talked about a different work life balance traditionally that's been something that has been difficult to get on all three of those levels for the last 2 years the, the pendulum has shifted so my bet is that you're incredibly busy right now we are really busy i think at the moment chris it's it's been really interesting to watch a variety of clients and companies grapple with how flexible working is actually going to come out of the, the pandemic and there's there's always been a lot of great chat about flexible working even pre-pandemic you know we spent a lot of times sort of discussing the benefits and the values and you know all good stuff but what we lacked and what the pandemic has meant that there is a lot of action now behind flexible working. Um, it was very easy to sit and have wonderful chat, but in fact, when I had gone out the room, there's quite a lot of companies that just went back to the same old, same old. And now because people have been forced through the pandemic to work from home, to work remotely, to start really stepping up how much they trust their colleagues and employees, that the conversation has just been sort of propelled forward in such a, you know, 15, 20 years, you know, pre-pandemic, we were forced into, you know, everyone used to run away with, from me at networking groups because I kind of shamed them into talking about flex. Now everyone wants to talk about flex and how it's going to work and how best you can do it and how 
what best practice looks like, which is why we started our action learning groups, which is how we started this conversation with Pfizer and with the FSCS about what flex means in action and what actions you need to get in place so that your people are at your core and center of your business. And it's, you know, the, the conversations we're now having are much more action led because people don't want to go back into the office full time and they are starting to demand that there's more flex, there's more remote working, what you call poly working. How is that hybrid blend of working practices going to work so that businesses continues to be productive but also continues to grow and you know I don't, there is no right answer yet there's a lot of companies that are a long way along the line but then they were probably there in culture terms already I think the companies that are really interesting now are the ones that are going wow that really worked now how do we make it continue to work and how do we put our people front and center so that you know we can't continue to work in this better way because it's better for their health, it's better for their mental health, it's better for their families, it's better for the environment. There's so many good things that have come out of a really terrible situation that are going to make people's working lives better and businesses better. You've given me a whole podcast to dis discuss that one statement there. So I'm going to unpick a little bit what you said, if that's okay, in a good way. But it, two things stood out. First of all, right at the end there, you said, companies said wow it does work my experience with some companies and organizations is they're saying damn it it does work because there's not necessarily the, the, the big desire to see a workforce disappear from a workplace that has probably been built up over tens if not more years so that's one point i think it'd be worthwhile digging around because what we're seeing is people abandoning offices and that's causing organizations a lot of problems because traditionally and I use the word tradition here, culture lived and breathed inside an organization's four walls. And now it's very difficult because what you're trying to do is beam it live into people's homes. The other thing you said, though, to kind of go right back to the start was you use that phrase chat about. You know, traditionally, we chat about. And I think that's a very good way of my pick at what you're saying there is that people give it lip service and it sounds like a good idea. But we've always seen flexibility as being something that working mums needed. And that's been obviously been very wrong. So give me your potted definition of flex working, because I think it's a stronger proposition than we've traditionally labelled. I think flex is for everyone. It should be for anyone that wants to have a meaningful career but needs other stuff going on in their lives. Now, maybe traditionally that was a working mum thing, but I have moved very significantly away from that to working people older younger it doesn't matter who you are I think flex is for all that is my mission that flex is for anyone in any place and any point in their career give us the words of wisdom as well because I know the way you work is you don't just find a candidate that wants to work flexibly and then position them you then make sure that the organization can handle it and makes it a success. What does that entail? Because that's gold dust at the moment. Talking about how you make a remote workforce work, we could write a book about it and many people are. Yeah, well, I'm sure you're very busy for exactly that reason because the point about culture is that it's really tricky. And again, this is from talking to lots of my clients, 
culture is really tricky to do remotely, do in inverted commas. Culture is about the people and then the energy and the collaborations and the creativity that people bring together. Working life is an activity, not a destination. You don't need four walls to go to work, as we've now found. Culture, you need, you need a much bigger direction to bring a culture to life if you haven't got everyone all together, which is why we come to our co-working space, because we gather our team once a week and we live and breathe what flexibility matters. You know, we try and infuse our enthusiasm and our dedication to recruiting people and into great companies with this essence of what flexibility matters. And, you know, we don't, you know, I can tell you what it is, but, you know, it, it's something that I live and breathe, which is a really difficult thing to, to, to bottle. But I think if you, if you go back to looking at the businesses we work with, they treat their employees like grown-ups. They trust them implicitly to deliver. It's all about delivery rather than bums on seats and presenteeism. And those are the companies that are really going to thrive and grow because they go, right, let's throw out the rule book. Let's make some guiding principles. Let's gear our people towards delivery and to being, you know, it's not about sitting in four walls, which is tricky, you know, in bigger organizations where you've got enormous leases um, and you've paid a lot of money for your building. You know, I was talking to Dagmar Albers, who's diversity and inclusion at, uh, at Pfizer, and they've leased out half their building. They don't need that huge building in, in Surrey anymore because most of their people are working on rotation, some are in, some are out, and they've sublet it because they just don't need those thousands of people in, in a space. They can do what they do remotely. So, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of logistical things that come with this yeah that we saw that problem at the start of the lockdown it was a logistical challenge and lots of organizations very quickly fixed the logistical challenge they didn't fix the people challenge it's far easier to check someone's got a laptop at home that can dial into your vpn than it is to check if someone is managing from a well-being um so there was a challenge there. I just I love that phrase, and I will steal it just to warn you. When you said that that work is not a destination, it's an activity. I, know, just... I, I will fess up. <laughs> <laughs> I stole that from David Blackburn at the FSCS because it's so true. It's just that work is an activity. Yeah. It's not a destination. It's it, it, it's kind of core to what we're talking about. Yeah, really. and this is the the thing that we're saying to companies more and more is, no one's got a problem with your office. Most offices that I go in now are nice, warm places. They've got free teas and coffees. They've got comfy chairs. We've cracked the office environment. I'm looking at your you on the camera here. You've got plants behind you. It looks like a nice place. That's not the challenge. The challenge is people don't want to commute. That's the big thing that the thought of getting up at 6 a.m. and sitting on a train and, and being squashed together and training through. There's, if there's no reason for it, why should we do it? The other thing as well is, back to the point, is when you work nine to five thirty, all flexibility to live a certain type of life disappears. So it's how do you balance that? And because as you say, it's actually quite nice to come back into the office. For most people, and I had this very strongly, I went back into a client office recently that I've been working with for years. It was lovely. 
and I use that word strongly, it was lovely to walk back in to see people, to see familiar landmarks. So it's not a problem. Uh, but the, the dif difficulty is, lots of people have rebuilt a life that doesn't mean you have to go in 9 to 5.30. So it's not the office that's the problem. It's the wider life around it, which I guess again brings us back to what you school organisations in doing around that, getting those people in. I, I think that the bigger corporations that we've worked with over these action learning groups have demonstrated that they, even though they have deep pockets and big budgets, break a, a big business down into smaller teams. And within those teams, you manufacture a charter or an agreement of what Flex is going to look like. And we work with Ursula Tavender and, you know, her flexible working charter and then the manifesto of how that actually you know is 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 built into the fabric of a business it, it, she's our training partner so if we find that a business needs more coaching and a deep dive into how to make it work we then bring in our co uh, our coaching and mentoring partnership i think from what i see in the smaller and medium-sized businesses that we work with it starts at the top if if a business leader leaves loudly and goes to the school nativity play, let's say at this, and goes, right, chaps, this is what I believe in. You should never miss a nativity play or a sports day or, or whatever it is, and models that behavior, then that behavior is more likely to stick. What I've noticed, however, is that even pre-pandemic, it gets stuck at middle management because middle management don't have the tools or the experience or the training to make it work and we know that it's logistics you know if everyone's here there and everywhere it's a logistical nightmare because it's like well who's talking to who and have we got that meeting and you know we, we work with some lawyers here in in sussex and they have remodeled their entire office space to have more collaboration spaces uh, because they say we can do the heavy lifting of our sort of grainy lawyer work at home but what we don't do is, is gather our people so that they all know what's going on so that we can collaborate and create. So, you know, we ask people to be in once, twice a week so that we can do this, the people stuff because it's people that we're talking about, isn't it? It's not a resource. It's, it's, it's people living and breathing a business, a business's growth, a business's culture, and it needs to be done together. I, I think this pendulum is still swinging and it's there's no right or wrong answer yet but it's a fantastic thing to watch sort of bed down my assumption is that we will find a new equilibrium where we will still need central places where we congregate because when we come together what we effectively do is we put culture fuel back in the tank and it feels special and it feels connected and that's one of the challenges where organizations have, have employed people over the pandemic they're sat at home feeling like a freelancer and they don't link into that magic of the culture. And also you, you, the, the challenge is, you're right, that the middle managers are often the ones that it's hardest to get through to because they feel the pain the most of non-delivery, which I think, so you can under, you can sympathise with them, but it's how do you sell flex working to them? Because if they are tasked against a high amount of delivery and output, and their traditional way has been to have lots of people in front of them that they can task and steer. We, we need to rethink how we talk to them about that.
I went to a really interesting um, seminar uh, which was run by one of the local universities and they were talking about the different skills that middle managers and management courses needed and it's much more your sort of softer skills um, that you know sometimes get left behind because they're seen as a bit fluffy um, and I think they're absolutely fundamental to how you manage particularly people who are remote working or away from that cultural center because it's those it's that empathetic emotional um, IQ that is going to really make businesses fly and you know that's not everyone's bag and it's not everyone's management style particularly if you haven't been trained in them so I, I think it's you know, there'll be a new breed of management modules that will come out through the business schools. And I think at the heart of it will still be performance. It has to be. But the, the question on everyone's lips is how do you make performance work and how do you make engagement work in a hybrid or remote world or a poly working world? And the answer is the same way you always have. You've got the same people, the same challenges. You're just moving location. And you don't count heads. This is, I guess this is one of the things that you really push strongly. Being at work doesn't mean you're working. Quite the opposite often. Um, and you, you don't manage performance, you curate it. So that, that need, and we got asked the question when we were planning this podcast, and it's a good one to kind of get your thoughts on as well, that what are the things we should be asking people to understand if it's working for them? Because it can't be as simple as are you happy? because that's a one-sided uh, output. So what would you say if I say, ask me a question that checks with me? Um, we work with uh, another partner and they are um, a performance-related um, coaching-led tool. And I think that's really important. You know, you select things that make you perform optimally and you then have those conversations with your manager or with your boss. And, you know, I think there's lots of, these sort of employee engagement tools that are available and that's not turning on, on your laptop and watching that your constraints are happening and are you are you being are you actually on task you know there's, there's so much more to performance isn't there and you know kpis and you know call rosters and keystrokes and all this sort of slightly big brothery stuff i suppose has its time and its place but it all boils down to do you trust your people and are they delivering? Because delivery is what we're all after, isn't it? Well, this is the key thing. And also, I agree with you. I think that the big brother approach, you need the data. And I was once told by a HR professional that they do things like performance metrics because, in her own words, if you want to lose weight, occasionally you have to get on the scales to see if you're doing it. But what we're seeing, and actually what we're focusing, we're focusing much more now on the actions derived from the question. So traditionally, you, a, a, an engagement survey would be everyone answers, there's a month's pause while it's all chewed through and the, the powers that be sit in angst over what to do with it. And then what filters back down are edicts around action. What we see more now is that managers have the data in their hands, but traditionally they're still looking at the difference between what does a six mean to a 5.4. What we're starting to push for now and, and working on is measure by all means, but as part of that measurement, give instant support around how to improve those measures. So help teams to measure themselves and then help teams to find those quick solutions that, that move them forward. Because actually, ultimately, the aim of measurement shouldn't be to measure, it should be to improve. 
And if you can use the whole process as a way of improving it, it's critical. And I do think asking remote people how it's going is a good thing, but it has to be action derived. Otherwise, they'll just get sick of it. You know, it's kind of, how are you? How are you? I was fine until you kept asking. <laughs> you, you know, the, the, the sort of checking in conversations that a lot of HR specialists were having through the pandemic was so important because people's mental health was struggling and your introverts were becoming more introverted and your extroverts were climbing the walls because they couldn't get out. So those sorts of conversations were really important. And then you, you know, the next stage was the walk and talk and the, you know, the, the, the quizzes and all the rest of it. And now that sort of life is beginning to look maybe a little bit more normal, it's like, how do you take all those good bits and make sure that people are still all right um, and are performing and are engaging in the conversations that will grow themselves and their businesses. I, and I, I think those conversations still need to, to to happen and to carry on, but I don't think it's a done deal. I think there's a lot of management tools that still need to be you know, worked on and uh, grown. And there is so much still I think we need to work through around the non-essential conversations that are still very important that we've we've boiled it down to a stream of conversations and, and actions that keep businesses and organizations running but we've lost the water cooler chat we've lost the coffee chat we've lost the 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 post and pre-meeting conversations where more happens you know it's the gaps between the meetings where the magic happens and we've removed that magic the, the total remote working is is really tricky if you've got consultants all over the world who are working for you um one of our um, speakers was uh, Hannah Smith from Paddle. And they've got paddlers all over the, the world um, and their panel, paddle summits are absolutely integral to their growth model. And without gathering people sort of four times a year, they just can't get there, infuse people with what a paddler actually means. And I just took a lot away that you have to gather everyone at least four times a year uh, to, to keep that culture intact. And okay, you can go away and you can touch in, but I think that's also where the team charters come in, really important. But together, you have to, as a group of 10 or however many, you have to sign up for what your bid towards the end game is and then hold each other accountable for it, whether you're in the room or out of the room, um, so that you all pull in the same direction. You said it at the start about employing adults, and that's for me, that's the three-step phase around helping to build a strong organizational culture number one is you employ adults and, and you you put the effort into making sure that you understand what you're employing because you can still be in your mid-30s and be a child and finding adults in an adult world is difficult but then you have to treat them well and you have to tell them the truth they're all the core things i'm going to take it to a slightly different tack though because I'm, I'm looking at the time thinking there's so much we want to talk about but i know people stop listening after 25 minutes so. <laughs> well, can i just go back to your point there yes about of course you can adults? because recruiting is really tough at the moment and there you know there's this myth that there's a million million people looking for uh, for work which is true there are a lot of people who are unemployed there's also a lot of jobs out there but that matching the talent um, and finding the diamonds is 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 tough um, i was talking to a client the other day and they'd done a um a trial run on indeed and that they'd had sort of 250 applications and they said they were all rubbish um and 
you know, that's kind of where we come in. You know, we have 3,000 people registered with us. And it's that finding those diamonds within that 3,000 and then nurturing them until the right job comes along. I, I think recruiting and talent is is a really tough place to be at the moment. It's also really tough to be unemployed at the moment because there's everyone scrummaging for, for the jobs. And, you know, the, the application forms, the bots are just screening people out. So they're not even getting through the door and they're not even getting um, a message back to say thank you for your application. It's just like you just don't hear. Um, so I think that, you know, what we try and do here at Flex Matters is, is, is be the human face of recruitment that we will look after you and nurture your application because we realise that it's a really tough world out there. Um, and Flex is where we sit front and centre and if you want a flexible job then come to us. You just keep giving me more questions to ask you here, but from what you're saying there, then, on the one hand, we've got a tough recruitment market, but on the other, where you're focusing on people who are adept at and want flex, is that becoming a beneficial factor now? So traditionally, if you walked into a job interview and said, I'd like to work different hours, you would be on the no list straight away. But now if I walk in and I say, I'm, I'm talent and I love the job, but I would need to work like this. Actually, are organisations bothered? Are they seeing it as a benefit? Are they not batting an eyelid? The conversation's moved so far. There's some organisations that will never change. They'll always want 37 and a half hours, and that's the way it is. And, you know, I am not going to conquer those, and I'm not going to try because I've tried already and it doesn't work. Um, however, there are so many small and medium-sized businesses who go, I can't get the talent. And you present someone who's maybe got exactly the right talent but only wants to work 20 hours and you go why wouldn't you have the conversation uh, and because there isn't enough talent out there more and more are beginning to see the beauty of okay well 20 hours is better than no hours with no one doing it and actually that person is extremely experienced and knowledgeable they come from london they don't want to go back on the train why wouldn't i at least give them a trial um and what we found, certainly since the pandemic, is that we get people in as consultants and they end up on payroll because they're so they're so good. Um, you know, if you, it's almost like a try before you buy. Um, and, it, and it kind of works. You know, people prove themselves in their three months, which used to be a probation period. Now they work as consultants and then they end up on payroll running the company, literally. And it's, it's something that I've always lived by for many years is employ a working parent because they will get far more done in the time than anyone else because they've got places to be. And actually, it, it, you know, you, if you make it about how many hours they're in the office, you are potentially going for the most inefficient measure around it. But you've segued nicely into what I wanted to ask you about, which is I think it's a myth, and you and I talked about this before, that talent now can be global. And everyone's nodding wisely saying, yes, absolutely, you're right. We could get talent from any country in the world. It's not quite as easy as that, is it? <laughs> it's very expensive to get talent from all over the world um it depends where you want them if, if you're happy to live a remote and run a remote company then yes you can but if you want them to work in the uk um, we, we're we're based down in sussex you know and most of the companies that we work with albeit that we're quite close to london would like some presence in the office at least once or twice a week or you know there's a couple that will have once or twice a month and you know it's always room for discussion but I think working visas and, you know, working with Europeans, you know, is is, is still a, 
something that no one sorted out you know trying to get my son to work in france it's not happening at the moment it's you know working working life is we'd like to think it's global and maybe it's for global organizations who've got the infrastructure to run it but for smaller medium-sized businesses it's much bigger issue and i think you've nailed the, the, the challenge there there is a break point and you talked about pfizer earlier they've always been very good at managing talent and then to manage talent they move talent and they've got a global network so they can move people across uh, continents and don't bat an eyelid. If you're a small UK-based company like yourself and ourselves, you don't have payrolls in other countries and suddenly it becomes quite expensive. So I think it's a nice idea, but I do think, if I can use the, the, the clunky old phrase, it's for the big boys. It's And that's it potentially means that, in some ways, I guess you could argue there's a bigger local talent because it's not been drawn upon as much <laughs> for us. Um, to put a spin on it, but it's it's complicated. I don't know. Everyone, you know, people used to say, "Well, Flex is for the likes of um, Pfizer and you know PwC and, and the rest." But actually, I, I think the pandemic has shown that you get so much great talent and such great goodwill from being flexible with your staff that they will stay with you and they will be loyal, um, and they will they will run your business. And you know, if that means that it's twenty hours now because you've got an aging father, you know, in in five years' time, maybe that aging father is not so much of a factor, and you go up to twenty seven thirty hours. Who knows? Or children grow up, or university degrees finish, or, or whatever it is. Flex is for all, but flex is not forever necessarily. You know, not everyone wants to work a flexible week, although. I have to say work-life balance is what we're all about. Emma, I think that's probably the, the strongest, best statement we could end on in terms of that, that pitch for flex working. It, it really does drive home the fact that hours are irrelevant and it's that long-term employee relationship and trust that you build up on. So it's a lovely way to end. Thank you so much for coming and chatting to us virtually today. Brilliant to hear from you. Hopefully we'll get a chance to talk again soon. Well, it's lovely to talk to you, Chris. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. Continue the journey at www.theculturebuilders.com.